Um, hey, can I get uh, two volunteers from each side of the room? And it's preferable um, if you know each other. So I need two people from this side and two people from that side. And I'm going to give it like 10 seconds, and then I'm just going to pick two of you. So do I, can I get two volunteers from this side of the room? Lewis and Cindy, thank you for volunteering. <laughs> if you guys can just come over here, um, and uh, maybe Cindy have a seat, and Lewis, you can have a seat um, up here. And then, um, Lewis, if you could kind of take off Cindy's shoes and start washing her feet, there's the basin. And then when you're done, switch, okay? And then dry them. Thank you. Appreciate that. You're such a servant, Lewis. And then two people over here. Greg's trying not to make eye contact with me. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you for volunteering. And Greg just breathed a huge sigh of relief. Thank you, ladies. What's your name? Chelsea. Chelsea. Awesome. And what's your name? Jennifer. Jennifer. Um, Jennifer, maybe um, you can start sitting, and then Chelsea, if you wouldn't mind washing her feet and then drying them <laughs> off, and then switching. So thank you guys very much. All right. Um, we are in the midst of a series uh, here at the river on our mission and our vision and our values. And is it hot or cold? Is it too hot? Is it okay? Okay, cool. Good. Um, and this morning we want to start um, on our values uh, and start the conversation about, as a church, what is fundamentally important to us. What are those things that, um, those hills that we would be willing to die on, the things that make us, us. Uh, and so we're going to explore that uh, this morning. If you can turn in your Bibles to John 13, when we're talking about the church and what makes the church the church, um, we think we should get our marching orders from Jesus. He's somewhat of an authority on the church. And so um, we're going to start at John 13, and then um, foot washers. Um, you're doing a great job. When you're done, if you don't mind just kind of chilling up front here instead of going back to your seat. Okay? So John 13, starting at verse 1, um, I'm going to offer a prayer and then we'll read this text together. Lord, thanks for this day and this time and this place. Um, open our ears to hear how what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. John 13, starting at verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly slow, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The question this morning uh, that I want to kind of engage in is, what is it that organizes this community? What organizes the life of the church? Why is it that we've come together in this place and in this building uh, as the church? Every Sunday on my way uh, here, I see a group of, of people in the field at Kingsbury, and they're playing this game that uh, looks a lot like baseball just doesn't look quite as fun. Um, it's cricket, and there's a group of like 15 guys, and they stand out in the field there, and I think the goal of cricket is to throw down the wicket. There's three of them. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the pitcher is trying to hurl down the wicket which is standing, and the batter is trying to hit it. I think they stole that from our version of baseball in our three strikes, or maybe it was vice versa. But those chaps are gathered to play cricket, and the thing that organizes them is the game. Today, many people will worship at the altar of the Denver Broncos and the New England Patriots, and around 75,000 people will gather in a stadium. The purpose of their gathering is to witness and bear witness to the final outcome of Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning. Go Broncos. And honor of Bill Beerling. Um, we are gathered, five to six hundred people will walk through the doors in this building today for a purpose, and this morning I want to kind of ask the question, why? Why do we do it? Is it so we can um, be inspired by some like um, great, great music and, and break through some of the mundane activity of the week with, with praise? Is it so that we can come uh, hear like something that Scott's going to say that's going to just like change our life and or like hear him just yell at us and be like, I don't know why he's yelling at me, but I'm kind of excited about what he's yelling about. Like, is that why we come? Why do we come? Why do we do this thing? Why do we do church? Why do we be the church? My kids, I'm in this really bad habit right now. We drive by the building and they go, there's church. And Julie is kind of annoyed, my wife, with me because I'm constantly like, that's not the church. That's just the building. That's where the church gathers. She's like, stop it. Just let them say what they want to say about church. But what is it that organizes our community? What is it that makes us us? Uh, when explore, again, this text and what it has to say to us. Thank you guys for just waiting so patiently. We'll get to you in a second. Um, in order to do that, we have to ask a question about what constitutes the good life. Jesus says this at the very end of his passage. You will be blessed if you do them. 
do what? Well, if you do as I have done, you will be blessed. Another way of, that, of reading that would be, you will live the good life if you do this. You will find contentment, peace, meaning. You will be blessed. Live the life that I've intended you to live if you do them. And what is the them? Well, the things that he has done. And what has he done? Well, he just took on the nature of a servant and emptied all of his power and all of his uh, ability to command uh, and garner attention. He just gave all that up to serve other people. This is not like a, a trick or a secret. This is, this is ultimately what we have come uh, together to do as a group is to serve one another and the world. And Jesus says, hey, you're blessed if you do as I have done. This is the good life. It's in emptying yourself for others. Here's the real challenge uh, to this, is that we live in a culture where the good life is presented as something completely different. Terry, did you get the pictures by any chance that I sent? Of, okay, can you show some of this? There's this um, website uh, called The Rich Kids of Instagram. Okay, so we talk about Instagram a little bit occasionally from time to time. And this is a social media app on your telephone. You look at it and your friends take pictures of things and then they post them and you can see what they're doing in their life. So, like, you know, people with kids, we post pictures of our kids on this and our friends see it and our parents in different states see it. And it's really kind of fun. Instagram. Well, this was... A picture on Instagram. This is the rich kids of Instagram. Um, these are people in their, their early 20s who post pictures. This is Jaws Christmas. Somebody posted this recently. Throwback Christmas. And we look at this and go, yes. Like, this is what Christmas is about. It's about um, just crazy amounts of bling and having a Jaws mouth in your living room. Uh, what's the next one? This is uh, the hashtag on here was hashtag touchdown because they just touched down in their private plane in Ibiza, which is an island in the Mediterranean. And um, this rich kid of Instagram um, is living the dream, right? Private jet, touchdown, uh, party time in Ibiza. And the next one, uh, this one has, the hashtag was, too much money to count with two hands, I need a third hand. Lambo, which apparently this is a Lamborghini, uh, Lambo just came out with this new color, which is, I don't know what it was called. Um, So this is the good life. And this is the life that many of us are confronted with. This is sort of a message within our culture. The good life is the one where you can pick a new Lambo. The good life is when you can touch down in Ibiza on your own private jet. The good life is in acquiring more and more and more. The good life is in self-improvement, making myself better and better and better. The good life is when I get more of what I want. Anybody here confronted with that ever? I'm confronted with it all the time. That the good life is ultimately about self-preservation, making sure that I'm okay, that mine are all right. And Jesus says, 
And I'm going to confront that. I'm going to confront that idea and that dream. And as the disciples wonder about what greatness looks like, he says, this is it. It's when you lose. Greatness looks like this. Go lose yourself in another's cause for the sake of another. And remember this. Jesus is in the same room as Judas. And the text says that not everyone in there was clean. And Jesus is keenly aware of the fact that Judas is going to betray him. And so in the face of his enemy, he he takes a knee and washes his feet. This is a huge challenge for us, for myself. His model and his invitation confront us. Uh, But the question I, I wonder about is like, how does he get there? How does he get to the place where he's able to say, ultimately, your life is is found in the serving of others? Well, a few things that Jesus knows that would be helpful for us to explore this morning. Uh, One, Jesus can wash others' feet because everything is under his. The text says this in verse 3. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Um, how many of you watched the show The Undercover Boss? Anybody? The premise of The Undercover Boss is that the boss of a large corporation goes undercover into a place um, in that uh, business where nobody will recognize who he is, and he essentially takes the lowest rung on, on sort of the corporate ladder. Uh, the boss goes in and explores how the company works and, and how everything happens within it, and, uh, and so essentially here, Jesus kind of uh, becomes the undercover boss, except for this. He empties himself of his bossness. He empties himself of his power and his ability to sort of um, call the shot. I believe that when the scripture in Philippians 2 says that Jesus emptied himself, essentially of his godness, um, that there was an actual risk. There was a risk in Jesus taking on human flesh. There was a a risk in in him emptying himself of um, his potentially omniscience, of his omnipotence, of emptying himself and becoming like us. Jesus doesn't just become the undercover boss and then hop back up to the corporate office. I think it's a little bit more like the scene in Batman Begins where Bruce Wayne, when he wants to go become a a thug and learn about what it's like to be a thug, he goes to the fireplace and he takes his identity and his money and everything that gives him advantage and he throws it in the fire. And then he goes and learns When Jesus empties himself, I don't think it's kind of like a, just go do this thing for a minute, and then you can go back and sit in your corporate office. I think he actually empties himself and says, no, this is like the way to life. He can wash others' feet because ultimately he knows everything is under his. He knew that God had given him power, and with that power, he chooses to cast it away. 
and say, this is the way. This is what power actually looks like. It's when you serve another. Second thing Jesus knows. Um, his identity, his activity flows out of his identity. It says, all things are under his power and that he had come from God. So Jesus knows whose he is. He knows who he belongs to. He knows where he's come from, who his daddy is. And because of that, he's able to serve freely. Hashtag whose you are is who you are. Last week there was a, a funeral that was commemorated here. And the Lappinga family was influential in my life. Don Lappinga was out here. He was actually uh, originally a Redlands guy. But when I was growing up in Grand Rapids, he was the elder who led me through profession of faith. And he was good for my dad. Don Lappinga used to catch my pops on the streets of, of Grand Rapids when he was working on city sidewalk and point out the window at him and say, Nico, you remember who you are and whose you are. And if you know Don Lappinga, uh, you know that he lives in that way. As a, as a child of God, he knows whose he is. And so Jesus' activity flows out of this identity. He is a child of God's. In Matthew, he says, don't be afraid of people. His disciples are, are, are sort of uh, worried about the, the, the chitter-chatter about them and, and about Jesus. And he says, don't, don't worry about them. Don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of the one who has your soul in his hands. Live in light of the fact that, that he's got your, your life. Number three, Jesus can crawl on the floor because he knows it's where the party's at. It's where the life is. It's where the excitement is. It's where it's all happening. It's going down on the floor. The towel and the basin transform our desire to change others into selfless love for others. In serving another, we put their needs before our own. And in that action lies the heart of Christ and the message of the gospel. When we, instead of trying to change someone, serve someone, the presence of Christ is there. And so in crawling on the floor, Jesus affirms that the path to descent is the way to ascend. The road down is the way to union with God. Um, hey, the world, the world is hungry for this kind of believer. We are hungry for this kind of Christian. We are hungry for this kind of church and for this kind of community. It shouldn't surprise us that this is exactly what Jesus did and calls us to. So what does it mean for us uh, as a church that we want to put service, this idea of serving the world, as something that, that a hill that we're willing to sort of die on. Well, first off, um, it means that we're called to serve in light of our own need to be transformed. Peter uh, says to Jesus, no, you can't wash me. Lord, like, that's not, that's not your role to, to wash somebody. That's, that's for like a servant. Not even a Jewish servant would do that. That's for like a Gentile servant. And Jesus says, hey, unless I wash you, 
You have no part of me. And so the first thing that we stand in the need of as a church is that we're called to serve in light of our own need to be transformed, our own need to be washed. We don't serve others because we got something like figured out. We serve first off because we need to be washed. We live and serve others in light of the fact that we need transformation. Uh, There was a guy, Peter Rollins, who said that we can't welcome others to the table if we can't welcome the other within us to the table. And that's the parts of us that we find difficult to accept. We can't welcome others to the table if we can't welcome the other within us to the table, the parts of us that we find hard to accept. Uh, Those things in your life that you're afraid of, like, God coming into and, and taking, that's exactly the stuff that he wants to come in and take. It's exactly the place that he wants to come in and, and clean out. That's the spot where the Holy Spirit wants to work. Those parts in us where there's fear, the parts of us that we're anxious about, the parts of us that keep us up at night, the parts of us that we carry shame about, the parts of us that there's guilt about, the parts of us that we're angry about, that's exactly where God wants to work. That's precisely the place that he wants to clean. Feet are gnarly. This is a good segue to talk a little bit with our foot washers. Um, Doug, can you turn this mic on quick a minute? So um, have you guys done this before, washed each other's feet? No. Okay, so this was the first. Perfect, perfect. Um, Tell me a little bit about how it felt, Lewis, to have your feet washed. It was quite strange, actually. It was hard to, I mean, I just wanted to do it myself, basically. Cool. I mean, I well, wanted to just take my own shoes and socks off. And... Are other people in the habit of touching your feet often? No, they're not. <laughs> um, there's a real, like, awkwardness to it, right? Yeah, there was. Having your feet washed. It's kind of like a, um, it's a really intimate thing. And um, I don't know, did, did Cindy like go in between your toes and wash too, or did she just like... No, she did, yeah. She <laughs> stuck her fingers right in between there and went... I'm not sure if she was trying to make me laugh or what, but... Right in like the gnarly, nasty spots, uh-huh. huh? Awesome, awesome. Um, Cindy, say a little bit about washing Lewis's feet. How was that experience uh, for you? Um, he's got nice feet. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um... I didn't mind it. I'm glad I knew him intimately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a good experience. Can you imagine doing this to like somebody who was a stranger? No. That would be like, yeah. feel like it'd be crossing a line or something? It would. Okay, yeah. cool, good. Hey, thank you guys very much. You can have a seat. Good job. Give him a hand. <laughs> Jennifer? Chelsea. Chelsea, okay. So, Chelsea, um, tell me a little bit about um, washing Jennifer's feet. Have you done that before? Um, no. No. You're like, why would anybody ever do that, actually? That's super weird. I uh, think so- she enjoyed it. <laughs> what about you? Did you enjoy washing her feet? Yeah, I felt like I did a good favor. Cool. Very cool. What about having your feet washed? Felt great. Did it really? Yeah. Okay. No, no like, awkwardness or strangeness? No. In and front she of did. Like she went in people. between my toes. She did. <laughs> Very cool. Well, it looks like you take good care of your feet. I mean, they're kind of exposed, and like you're doing a good job with that. So nice, <laughs> okay. nice job. Jennifer, what about you? 
Did you did you enjoy washing her feet? Yeah, it was fine. What about having your feet washed? It was fine. Is it a little strange? A little bit. Are Just you um do you get a lot of like pedicures and stuff or is that oh, when I have the money. Okay. All right. So you're you're used to having somebody kind of like massage your feet or something. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes. All right, cool. Thank you guys very much for your help. That was great. Appreciate it. Yeah, I wouldn't want to wash Lewis's feet either. Um, the thing about feet and the thing about washing someone's feet uh, is that it's incredibly, for me at least, these guys were really cool with it, which you're way ahead of where am I on that. Uh, but for me, it's awkward. It's just really awkward. To, to have my feet washed is actually worse than washing someone else's feet. I'm probably a lot... Um, like Lewis, where uh, to have someone touching um, the, the yucky places on me, like I have a spot in between my, this is TMI, but my pinky toe and my other toe that sometimes, I don't know if there's like athlete's foot or something in there, but it's like, it gets smelly, like it gets stinky. And some of you are like, how can he be talking about this? This is exactly what Jesus is getting at. He wants to minister to us there figuratively, in the stinky and smelly places in our soul. That's exactly where he wants to come and offer, like, healing. It's not, it's not just, like, for, you know, the thing that we did when we were three and we're sorry that we lied to our teacher or whatever. It's, like, the thing that, that happens to us all the time. I want to meet you there. Peter, I want to wash, like, the stinky places. And so um, the world is in, in need of people, Christians, who serve out of the recognition that Jesus has come and, and offered us uh, a way to God that is clean, clean of, of any fear, clean of guilt, clean of shame. He's come and offered us union with God. And the world is in desperate need of Christians who will serve in light of that. Second thing, um, the world is in need of Christians who will serve in light of where we're headed. It says that Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. Uh, the world is in need of Christians who live like this isn't the end. In desperate need of a community of people who li live like there is another reality that we are living for. There's a whole different set of values and rules in life. There's a whole different thing beyond this thing. And so we don't make our choices in light of like tomorrow or the next day or the next day. We make and live our, our lives in light of eternity. In light of the fact that we, the people of God, will walk with him forever. And so we live like that. Third, uh, the world is in desperate need of Christians who serve in light of our lovedness. Jesus shows them the full extent of his love, it says in verse 2. He shows them the full extent of his love by serving them, by laying himself at their feet. Came across this great quote by Woodrow Wilson, who says that the object of love is not to win, but to serve. The goal of being loved isn't to say, oh, I've been loved, now I win. The goal of love is ultimately to be loved so we can serve. 
to be set free from everything that holds us back so we can go. To be liberated so we can be about the work of God in the world. God didn't save your butt so you could come sit in a pew. He didn't rescue your life or my life so that I can go show up and sing some songs. Now those things are amazingly helpful in inspiring us and moving us and getting us stirred up so that we can go be in the world. But he did not redeem us so that we could sit around and talk about how great it is that we're redeemed. He redeemed us to be redeeming. Saved us to be rescuing. Liberated us to be liberating. Served us so that we could be serving. In honor of Martin Luther King, who we celebrate tomorrow, this life is something for all of us. It's not just something for like the great ones. That's not just something for, for the Blackburns. It's not just something for people who um, organize 20 Fellowship of Christian Athletes um, high schools or whatever it is, 50. How many has it been? 40. All over the Inland Empire. It's not just for um, those sorts of heroes. It's for all of us. Martin Luther King said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to, be serve, to serve. You don't have to be Dutch. <laughs> he didn't say that. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Again, this is the reason Christians are Christians. This is why we are the church. It's for the sake of the world that God loves. He does this so that we might be about loving through losing. Loving others through the losing of our agenda. Loving and serving others through the, the losing of needing to win. Love is ultimately about serving and not about winning. Which brings us back to the good life and why we're organized here together. Jesus says this is the good life. When you serve. When you live for another, you've found it. You've struck sort of the marrow of what it means to follow me. That is the life that I've called you to live. And so, as a community, one of the things that we desperately need to stop doing is, is judging others outside of this community. Jesus has called things like the friend of a sinner. He eats with all sorts of people who you know, he shouldn't have been eating with. And to them, he becomes a servant. And so that's what love looks like in flesh and blood. We've been talking about putting the love of God on display. That's our vision as a church. We want others to see the God that we've encountered. And we do that through loving the world in service. It's really simple. I've developed over time, these really two just dynamic questions. It's taken tons and tons of, of research and, you know, scoured the Bible. There's these two really, really, I mean, they're kind of academic questions, but ask them anyways. This is how we do it. 
What do you need? Where can I help? Two questions that we can arm ourselves with as a congregation in the world. What do you need? Where can I help? If we uh, together for the next year would ask those two things, I'm convinced that a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, this community would continue to flourish, to continue to be healthier and more and more beautiful, that we would be more and more compelling to the rest of the world, but ultimately that God would be put on display. Because people want to get down with folks like that. And so where is God calling us to live and walk in this way? There was a guy named C.T. Studd, who officially goes down as having the greatest last name ever, (laughs) who said that some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And I thought that was really great. And I was really moved by that. And I think the night after I read that, my baby woke up like two or three times. And I'm rocking her to sleep, just like dreaming about these other places and realizing, no, like God was kind of like, hey, the place that you're called to serve is right in front of you. Dork. Like, that's great that C.T. Studd was able to say he wants to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. The reality is for a lot of us, that place is just right in front of our face right now. Now, there are some of us who are called into distant lands and and into other places, Um, but for many of us and most of us, that place is right in front of us. And God is calling us right there to live a life of selfless surrender. For many, uh, we serve others in our home. This week I heard a story of a parent who's been caring for um, a disabled child for much of their life. And it's sort of, they feel trapped them, and yet they're able to say, and, and it's the place God has called me to be. It's where he's called me to minister his presence. There were funerals um, in the last two weeks at the church, and it was amazing to see people just show up and serve one another in love. Some of us are babysitters that care for kids. Maybe you fix things, or you blow leaves, or you dig holes, or you lead a company, or have employees, or you stand before young people as an authority or like a teacher, but also as their servant. And you ask those questions, what do you need? And where can I help? 2014 is a river. Our value here is um, that love, if anything, needs to be given. Service looks like love given. It looks like us um, rolling up our sleeves and getting dirty. In Redlands, um, there's a whole bunch of things. If you're kind of wondering, like, where do, where do I do this? How do I live this out more, more faithfully? Um, there shouldn't be any children in our city that don't have a home. There's currently 1,900 homeless children and youth. doesn't mean they're necessarily sleeping under trees, but they're without a home. Maybe they're um, shacked up with a relative or, or living in a motel 
or staying in a car, but there's 1,900 kids in this city that don't have a home. There shouldn't be any children who go to sleep hungry in this city. Um, No student last year uh, as a city, we lost students who took their own lives. No student should ever feel like life is too hopeless. They should never feel so helpless that the only way out is to end it. As a church, I believe God has called us to do something about those things. I also believe that our nursery people should never have to make a phone call to anyone in this community to come watch kids on a Sunday morning. Hey, I know the stuff that Scott says is really great, but go hold a baby. We should never have to call people. Our children's ministry people should never have to call people and be like, would you be willing to, for an hour, come hold some babies in the infant nursery? There should be a list of like a 100 people that if one person can't show up, the next person can, or the next person can, or the next person can, because we're all asking each other, what do you need, how can I help? What do you need, how can I help? What do you need, how can I help? What do you need, how can I help, why? Not so we can be so great, because Jesus says that's the way to life. That's the way to identify yourself with me and my kingdom. What do you need, how can I help? As a church, we've continued to ask that question. Uh, If we weren't here, who in this community would care? Who would be like, hey, there's something missing? The people that call themselves the river are not there. Who would miss out? And it's it's exciting to see that more and more things are happening within this community. Last story, and I'm going to close. Scott said I wasn't going to go as long as him, but it's been almost as long as he goes. The past two weeks, uh, Joel Verhoof, who is a pastor here at the river, he started a company within his company, City Life. Um, he has a new landscape business, and I don't think he's trying to like compete with any landscapers in here. But uh, they are, Joel is in the process of hiring folks within this community or who are connected to this community um, who might not otherwise be able to find employment, and walk through a series of um, coaching assignments, and for next, the next six months with these folks, um, get into some work, do some uh, yard stuff around here, do some coaching and training in the hopes that at the end of that time, those folks will sort of um, have an opportunity to pursue work elsewhere. That's just like one of the little stories in this community of how the river is trying to serve. And our hope for 2014 is that you roll up your sleeves and get dirty. This is a community where we value this. Um, We value serving one another. We value serving um, Redlands and beyond. And so that's our hope for this year, that as the people of God, we would follow Jesus' example um, to the full extent of his love he served others and has called us to do the same. Will you join me in prayer? God, thanks that you came and took the nature of a servant. Thanks that you came and served us and invited us to do the same in the world. Would you give us wisdom and discernment as we do that? Um, we need help, and we need, to, um, we need to know where you're calling us and where you're not.
thanks for the long history of folks within this uh, congregation uh, who just give and give and give themselves to others and their, their families and their neighbors and the people in their work. Thanks for um, the ways that you're moving us and shaping us to continue that work uh, in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.